Hello, my name's Jerry Padfield and you're listening to my PhD cast. again and this time it's January to March quarter two of my PhD we'll be talking about. Um, so I mentioned last time this thing called the application for registration or the AFR. Well the good news is that I've uh, got through that. I got through it first attempt so I'm pretty happy about that. It's been a very helpful process actually and I th- it's worth talking about this because if you are doing a PhD um, at well, I think it's Falmouth University and because the PhD is issued through the University of Arts London, you'll have the same process there. But I think most PhDs have a similar sort of milestone, you know, in the uh, the first sort of uh, quarter of your PhD, where you're basically uh, putting forward a, a more developed idea than the one that got you on the course in the first place, which is worthy of PhD um, status, I guess. And uh, it it really focuses you on what, you know, you've got that first three months, you could just be kind of sitting around reading books and going, ho-hum, you know, life is great. But it's really, it makes you, there's a, there's a point in your back of your head that you have to do something, you know, towards something, and you have to focus on what your idea is and really honing that into something that makes sense. Um, another thing that happened is uh, I got to my first ever academic conference. So I was actually accepted onto the conference in the latter part of my MA, uh, um, but it's the same kind of idea, the research. And it was in Scotland, in Stirling, so it was a chance to go back to Scotland and uh, also to see a couple of uh, the people that ran the course that was on in Scotland, Tony Grace and Catherine Burnett, who were also uh, presenting there. There was a bit of a nerve-wracking experience. I had no idea what to expect. But I think I'm very lucky in the fact that I'm working in radio because the radio people are very protective of each other. Um, This conference was the MEXA conference, which stands for the Media Communication Cultural Studies um, Association, which is the Society for Academics, which are studying all those uh, kind of um, disciplines. So, you know, you can kind of think of it as media academics. The people involved in radio are very protective of their own and very friendly because they feel like they're a bit of kind of the... um, the forgotten kind of um, discipline uh, as there's more kind of glamorous ones in terms of film and television for example. I presented on a very interesting panel and I was made to feel very welcome and I also got a lot of really good nice feedback from people including just uh, some of the people in the audience and uh, as well as fellow panelists Um, and I made some connections with the Radio Studies Network and was able to go to their AGM which was, um, you know, very interesting insight into what the life of an academic, if you like. I think it's what the, you know, kind of the way that academics meet each other and network is one of the ways, one of the most important ways. And that's how you get people to know that you exist. And, you know, a few people now know that I exist as somebody that's doing this work. And hopefully that will grow in the future and I can build upon that. I also managed to have some initial meetings with a thing that's happening here in Cornwall, which is the Recovery College Cornwall. And uh, Recovery College is a model for 
mental health recovery. So basically, instead of being treated as a patient, you're treated as a student and you put together your own syllabus of courses, which can be things like anxiety management, depression management, you know. Um, and as alongside that, there are things, arts and craft kind of courses as well, which are also good for well-being. And so the idea is that I would offer my podcasting um, uh, methodology as, as a workshop, which would allow people to kind of express themselves and get involved as well as um, potentially recording a podcast with the recovery college um, with the students and so on so that's really exciting I think it's uh, also might be a good way to get participants for my main study of my uh, PhD one of the things that's happening with the PhD is it's kind of changing a little bit or broadening I guess in terms of I'm, I'm not just thinking about a WebRTC application and just working with you know the people in the different areas but I'm I think there's something there around there's something there around this podcast actually. I think there's something around doing a podcast describing my methodology. So I did a thing called Be Your Own Radio, which was a workshop which showed people how to make podcasts using all this kind of easy open source lo-fi stuff. And that was quite successful. And I think I might what I might do is create a podcast called Be Your Own Radio, which will um, document all of this stuff. So it'll be in a form that is, you know, the describing the, its own form and uh, will make sense to people who like listening to podcasts hopefully because it will be a podcast itself and it will also be a method of like uh, preserving and archiving what i'm uh, you know trying to do and hopefully be helpful as a resource to people um, without me having to be in the room literally there describing it so this kind of quarter has been more of the same really in many ways obviously i've got through the afr milestone i've presented at a conference those are quite big things I've been reading, reading and, you know, thinking about my idea a lot. So there's lots of thinking and lots of reading at this stage. The next big milestone for a PhD is called Confirmation of Root, but that's like a year away. So that's way in the back of my mind. And it's it's more a case of like, I think at this stage, it's kind of like networking, building connections with other academics, with other people that are in your kind of area and making your idea more robust you know, really finding that little niche that you can connect into and make your own, you know, because you're going to end up being an expert in this thing. So um, you really need to find the thing that no one else has done before. This is Contribution to Knowledge, SOC is the acronym. So it's a significant original contribution to knowledge. And that's what it has to have to be a PhD. If there's no new knowledge and, uh, you know, if it's not significant, original, and a contribution to knowledge, it's not a PhD, basically. So I'm thinking my significant original contribution to knowledge is finding out whether participatory uh, practice and using WebRTC is a way to get people involved in community radio who wouldn't be otherwise, and also potentially looking at whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and if it improves people's lives in the first place. I'd just like to talk about something that if you're going to do a PhD, you're definitely going to experience, um, unless you're a psychopath. So consider experiencing it as a kind of good sign that you're not a psychopath. And that thing is something called imposter syndrome. Uh, you probably experienced it in your life before to small extents where you kind of feel it's a bit like you're in over your head or... Um, you don't actually have the skill set or the expertise or the knowledge to do the tasks that's in, that's in front of you and you're just waiting for people to find out that fact and reveal you as the imposter that you are. So 
The nature for a PhD is that it's a huge task. It's uh, three, four years plus of your life that you're devoting to one um, single project. Okay, it's a huge project. Um, so it'll break down into many different tasks. But that kind of overwhelming feeling of there's this huge thing in front of you and how are you going to do it? And not only that, um, the idea that you're, you have to be right at the front of the knowledge. So you have to actually be know the whole field that you're talking about and then come up with something that no one has ever done before. So that's the new knowledge that is at the heart of the PhD. So when you're in that space, you're the, in theory, you're the only person that knows this new thing or has um, researched this new thing. That's bound to give you a sense of being a bit out of your depth and it's bound to make you feel like you are a bit of an imposter because you're just a PhD student and uh, there's all these doctors and professors and uh, people who've been researching for 20, 30 years that you're reading all their literature. You're just some humble PhD student who's on the first or second year of their PhD trying to get on with um, researching something new. Never mind that you're surrounded by people in your cohort and the people that are your supervisors and your kind of research um, department are all people who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly on top of their game and uh, know exactly what they're talking about pretty much all of the time. So that's a hard thing to kind of be surrounded by all the time. So all I would say is when you feel it, which you will, just acknowledge it and get on with it because that's not all you can do. Um, it's, sometimes it feels horrible and it's a but if you dwell on it too much, it will stop you doing your work. And it's better just to get on with the work and say, OK, today I feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm about to be revealed as a fraud and thrown off my PhD. But if people had faith in you to do the PhD and they accepted you onto the course, then you more than likely have all the skills you require in order to do it. I've been asked to talk a little bit about um, one of the aspects of my PhD, um, open source software and why I'm using it and why it's a good idea in general. So um, one of the other acronyms of open source software is FOSS, which is F-O-S-S, which stands for free open source software. So I think that's quite a good way of looking at why it's a good idea if we go through those kind of uh, letters. So the first one, F for free. Now this doesn't mean free as in you don't pay any money for it. I mean, quite often that is the case, that it's uh, completely free. Sometimes it's not, um, but what it means is free in terms of uh, the ability to use it so and adapt it. So you can take the source code and you can change it to use it in the way that you want. If there's a bit that it doesn't do, or if there's just one bit that you, it, you like that it does and you want to get rid of all the rest, you can take that code and you can change it. So that's really useful, like in the field that I'm working in, in the community radio, because everyone is working on a shoestring and usually in kind of not ideal circumstances, quite often they have very niche kind of needs in terms of the software they want to use. So they might want a bit of software that connects, um, you know, a remote studio to their main studio and they don't have a lot of money to spend and they need it to do a very specific thing all the time, but they don't need to do anything else. Now, if you're going to buy a bit of commercial software, you're probably going to pay a lot of money and it's going to do lots of things that you don't want. So you can, if you know what you're doing, take some open source software and adapt it to your very specific needs. So now if we look at open source software, the open source means that the source code, i.e. what the programmer or programmers have written, is freely available for people to look at, to 
modify and to use for their own ends. So what does that mean? That means that projects which are open source, people can contribute just from wherever they happen to be with the knowledge they have. So if I publish a, a project open source, somebody who's in Germany, let's say, who has a massive expertise in a field of programming that I know nothing about, can decide to contribute to the project, write some code for a very specific part of the project, which works, which I would never have been able to come up with. Likewise, this sort of hive mind thing, people can suggest ideas. Um, they don't have to be coders. They can say, well, I really love your software, but it'd be good if it did this, you know, as well. And sometimes that can really help, uh, you know, the software become the thing that you want it to be. So this is kind of idea of, it's open to everyone to adapt and use for what the needs they have. And also because of the hive mind, because it's not closed off and commercial software where you, you can't see the code, people can contribute, people can fix things quickly. If there's any like security loopholes for viruses and things, they can get closed down quickly because people can report them and they can get addressed straight away by the collective of the programmers. I talked to Johanna Ruhr, who's an illustrator and a researcher. She has a radio show on Source FM once a month called Guilty Pleasures, during which a guest will pick their favourite music and other things which they are slightly ashamed to admit they enjoy listening to. The show was developed as part of my earlier MA research, which first led to the development of this methodology, which I'm now um, further developing in my PhD with open source software, convergence culture, and uh, using that to create broadcast audio content. I talked to Johanna about her experiences with broadcasting, uh, the potential benefits of participation and some of the struggles along the way. I'm here with, um, I'm going to attempt your name, Johanna Ruhr. That's beautiful. I do well, have an A-level in German. Yeah. <laughs> um, it shows. Um, who is an illustrator and also records a monthly radio show for Source FM, mm -hmm. which is kind of a podcast too, actually, because you do release it on Mixcloud. I do. Um, and we're here to talk about your experience of working with some of my methods that I've taught you to do your show and also what you get from the show and so on. So let's start at the beginning, I guess, and um, the source show. How did you find the process? How did you find learning the technology and that kind of process of recording? Um, easier than I thought it would be. Um, so we're, we're, well, the program that you introduced to me is called Mix, yeah. and it's really easy to find and download. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite visual, so you can you can um, adapt it to like the, the interface. You can you know um, have certain sections there. You can customize it. You can customize it. That's the word I was looking for, um, and. Yeah, it's. I am a little bit proud of myself for mastering it. Now, I wouldn't say I've mastered it yet, but um, it's. Yeah, it looks quite technical, but actually, once you start using it, it's it's really not. Yeah. Um, so you do it all directly, sort of. I want to say live into mix. Yeah. And then use Audacity at the end just to clean it up and. Um, cut any bits out that will go wrong. I use Premiere, Adobe Premiere okay. for editing afterwards. I didn't teach you that, but never You mind. didn't teach me that. Sorry, Jerry. Um, <laughs> That's commercial software. Yes, yeah, no, we don't know. Well, if... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you got me there. Yeah, no, but that's just because of my background in animation and, um, you know, like I'm just used to using yeah, no, Premiere. I'm teasing but, you there because yeah. actually the whole point is to be... Um, pragmatic so that's yeah. the thing about convergence culture which is 
this I is this idea of like old media meets new media, analog meets mm-hmm. digital, but also around that is kind of the idea of like using the tools that you've got access to. Yeah. So because you have Adobe Premiere, because you're an illustrator use it you know if that's what yeah. you used to use it whatever gets the job done really yeah but i think audacity pretty much works in a in almost the same way i think mm. um it's a workflow thing isn't it and audacity does have a few little quirks that can become frustrating yeah 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 i, I never really got that far um i just mm. thought well i'll stick to what i know yeah. um, which is premiere um but premiere can be very frustrating as well um mm. so yeah and you use a usb mic I do. You, can I say what I use? You can say the, yeah. the brand. Yeah. I, I use some um, a Snowball um, mic, and yeah, it's a USB mic. Um, and I've just um, bought like some little sort of what do you call the things that you put on like like a little. It's got a little hat on now, like. <laughs> like one of these, which I'm holding up for benefit of the listeners, is um, a windshield. Yeah. Like a foam thing that you put over the microphone. It. Yeah. yeah, just to sort of. Um, dampen the sound of the um, wine glasses <laughs> so most people use that for, for popping which is where you kind of put yeah. into the mic but you use it for, for wine glasses for, for okay. that yeah it's interesting <laughs> that's the technical side but I think what's more actually what's more interesting is the kind of what you get well what you get from it what the audience gets from it what the participants get from it so I'm, I'm, I know from speaking to you before that um, it's been quite a you know, uh, impactful thing in your life, the, participating in this thing that you do every month. It has been, and it uh, really surprisingly so. Um, I never thought of myself as, well, I'm not really much of a talker anyways, and I'm not really someone who likes to be in the spotlight in general. So I'm, I'm quite happy to, you know, stay in the background. Um, um, so when you asked me if I wanted to do my own radio show, my initial reaction was no, of course not. <laughs> but then, um, you know, like the, just well, it was a bit circumstantial, I guess. At the time, I just like I I just made a decision to just say yes to things, and to say yes to crazy things that I wouldn't usually have have done. Um, you know, so you know, in that year, so that was that was my motto for the year. Um, so I just said yes to one show with you, and I really enjoyed it. And um, just the, I think what got me excited was um, the prospect of um, having my own show and actually playing the music that I really that makes me happy. So. Um, you know the so yeah maybe we should say a bit about the, f- the format then because yeah so i think that's yeah that's what it, so the, the show is called guilty pleasures and the format is basically um i you know it's like a lame version of desert island discs so i i have a guest who comes on the show every month and they bring you know like five to ten uh of their guiltiest pleasures so rather than playing really cool music we just play really lame music and we use that as um you know like the start to a conversation about um that person's memories and you know what their lives and who they are as a person and so rather than sort of pretending rather than showing you know your best side (laughs) to the world and just um sort of polishing what you're 
putting out there. It's just no, <laughs> I talk about my deepest, darkest musical secrets. Um, well, what's interesting for me, because I've been on it as well, is that it opens up this sort of vulnerable side to the, the interviewee. Yeah. Because you're revealing maybe like little secrets, like you like some kind of crappy band, mm -hmm. but actually that leads on to you revealing bits about your personality and your life that you didn't expect to do before you entered the, yeah. the conversation. Yeah, which is the whole idea. And that's, I, I think that's what I like, like about the whole um, process as well. It's, it's sort of, authentic I, I think and I, I had like okay well you gave me the opportunity to be more authentic I think um, you know like I mean I, I do use a, a pseudonym so I'm not you know like no one really knows it's me <laughs> but it's kind of nice to sort of put that stuff out there and uh, and just go yep this is me I listen to Wham and Hall and Aids and I'm not ashamed to admit that. And there's something really liberating <laughs> about that. And I think for the people who come on the show as well, like you said, that vulnerability. Um, but actually, once it's out there, it's actually, you can laugh about it. And you can, you know, like that just makes for much more real conversation mm. than when you're trying to be like this really cool person who listens to really cool music. And um, Well, this and is interesting around sort of podcasting which is kind of what you're doing actually because you pre-record it and so the source broadcasts it yeah basically you're doing a podcast that goes on air yeah um is that you know because it's that informal conversation where you can use a, a quick a technology that allows you just to do it in your bedroom or mm -hmm. you know in someone's house it does it enables something new to come out of it which you wouldn't get from going into the radio studio so i mean your show would be very different, wouldn't it, if you invited people into the source studio every Oh, definitely, month. yeah. And I usually go into people, you know, like people usually invite me into their living rooms um, or vice versa. And, yeah, and I mentioned, you know, the wine glasses earlier. So wine does play a little bit of a part in all of this and, um, you know, the secret um, revelations there. Um, but, yeah, no, it's that, like, you feel more, like that technology allows you to feel to be a little bit more comfortable and less exposed so you're not on the spot you don't have to um mm. you know come up with conversation on the spot if it doesn't yeah there's a very like with the with the broadcasting when the mic goes on or when you're in a studio and the record button gets hit there's a it's a like a real kind of nervousness that comes across people and I've seen it you know with people who you think like the most confident people you've ever met mm -hmm. and they're talking away fluently and then the minute you kind of say okay record yeah they kind of the nervousness just so that there's a way that's kind of like a way of getting over that nervousness isn't it doing it in people's homes or yeah in a very informal setting with a wine glass and you know yeah having a chat definitely and I'm trying not to edit too much of it afterwards so um Obviously, it has to be radio friendly, um, but I quite like the, you know, awkward silences and the, mm. you know, sort of, I mean, in the beginning, I I did, I, I tend to snort when I laugh really hard. So I used to <laughs> edit that out <laughs> because no one wants to hear that on the radio. Um, but I'm, I, I'm sort of starting to leave that in because that is how the conversation went. And um yeah, and I 
and I actually would advocate for you know having a bit more of that um, mm. um, in the world, like not trying to um, you know edit and and make everything look really perfect or sound really perfect all of the time, um, yeah. because then something gets lost in the process. I think so, and I think that's what I got the passion for community radio is because. Well, listening to it, and obviously everyone on there is an amateur, and they make mistakes, mm. and they do occasionally say the wrong word, or mm. leave the mics open over a tune, or not even find a tune, or put the wrong one on. And for me, that that human aspect to it mm. is what's appealing in a way that, mm. you know, Radio 1 or something slick is not at all for mm. me. Mm. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, I mean, it's sort of contradictory now what I'm saying because like in, the, in a way you know I, I do have that persona called judgmental um, but it's it's obviously still me it's a bit tongue-in-cheek me but um, it's still me um, and and I think that's what I wanted like I didn't want to sort of become this right like radio persona who's not really me mm. like because when I'm talking to my friends and that's what these shows are you know like mm. just inviting people that I like and that I find interesting um, and having a conversation um, about them and um, and yeah like that you know like I can't do that in a radio persona kind of manner I can only do that on a mm. um, as me as Johanna so. So, there's something interesting there about you know you are now because uh, you're quite good at actually being um, strictly yourself and producing a show each month so you're now every month finding a different well friend or acquaintance or maybe even a stranger that you approach and you say can I have this rather intimate chat with where you reveal stuff about yourself Mm. so is that making you closer is you getting a closer group of friends or you know what yeah definitely um and I keep saying that I love making this show because it's it's like a little audio time capsule of i'm not sure if i pronounced that right (laughs) of conversations with people that i really cherish and appreciate um so it's nice like even if no one else is listening it's really nice just to have for myself because you know it's a because of the random conversations we do have (laughs) and it's not scripted it's 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 like a little snapshot like an like the audio version of that um you know of where we were at at that point in time and Mm. you know like i did the show um in australia with my friends in australia and that was so lovely to have everyone in a room together um my my friends from australia and um like that to me is such a nice little um what's the word momentum like a little no what's no not momentum memento Memento, that's the one memento um of yeah my the time that i spent there it's odd isn't it how we like we take photographs but we don't tend to record audio of people yeah 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 yeah. there must be a reason yeah that's a really good point but that's what you're doing isn't it there's not even a word for that no is there there's a you have a photograph, you have a photograph, which is a souvenir yeah. of a, an image souvenir of a memory of a occasion. Yeah. But you, no one that I know, maybe I do, or you do now. But we, you don't collect little audio clips of moments in time with people. No. And the voice is such an evocative mm. thing of people. I mean, it's well, it's the most in terms of 
well, one of the most, let's say, because your visual appearance maybe, mm. but, you know, you can recognise someone from a voice without seeing them at all. So, mm. well, I don't have an answer to that, but it's just something to think about. And, yeah, also, have you noticed that it's kind of, because my PhD is about the re- this uh, process improving well-being or mental health is it as if you noticed i'm leading you in, in the direction here but feel free to disagree but that it's improved your well-being and the participants well-being or yeah, the audiences or definitely and um i think it's well those things that you've brought up already it's you know it's like sticking to a deadline every month and just you know whatever we've recorded there's never a script whatever we've recorded that goes out there in the world and it just has to be good enough and um yeah and i think that's been really liberating to me like it's you know like i would you know never have thought of like having my own radio show that's like the you know like two, two years ago um like that's you know that would have filled me with a lot of dread um but it like i'm actually really enjoying that now um and like i said like you know regardless of whether anyone actually does listen or not it goes out there and it's out there for you know in theory for for the world to listen to um and yeah and and i don't feel that pressure anymore it's like because it's just a little bit of fun and i think it's because of the nature of the format as well because i intentionally set the bar really low like i basically (laughs) said i'm not gonna make a cool show i'm gonna make a really lame show so like you know you know what you're in for when you listen to this i don't expect too much (laughs) and yeah well people do listen and uh, i have some feedback because i know that at least two people are involved at the radio station have commented to me about what a good presenter you are. Uh, this is not, I'm not taking the, um, this is genuine feedback. And also I know that a couple, some people that schedule the, when they have to put repeats on on the show, they pick yours out and put them on because they enjoy really? listening to them so much. Oh, thanks, and I guarantee from that there will be an audience in Falmouth, at least if not a mixed cloud on the other platforms you use, which enjoy listening to your show. Thank you, that's really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it hinges on my guests as well. Say, so I've, I've got like, you know. I've well, I think no, I'm going to disagree with you here because okay, the format works as a format, mm. and you could, I guess, move you and put somebody else in, but you are very good at like getting people to talk about themselves and in a way that allows them because not everyone can do that. I mean, it, most people like to talk about themselves, especially if they're a presenter of a radio show. So it's hard for them to just sit back and let the other person reveal and that's what you'll, you you do on your show maybe that's my that's my secret because i really don't you don't like to focus. talk about myself so I, <laughs> I like you know to you know other people to talk for as long as as they can yes mm. yeah, me too yeah. <laughs> i know that you're considering or potentially doing a phd next year mm-hmm. so is podcasting something you might consider to document your PhD or use as a tool to That's a think really about good idea. I mean, you don't have to do it yeah. in the format, obviously, that you're doing. You could do it in a much even less techy way than you're doing at the moment, which is uh, what I'm holding now, which is like a little mm. uh, digital recorder in your hand or even a phone. You can just, you know, record things into that. So 
Is that something that would appeal I'd, to you? I would definitely consider that, yeah. Um, and my PhD has got to do with sort of accessibility as well. So, you know, I mean, it's it's more about visual communication, I guess, than sort of, um, mm. you know, audio. But um, no, I think all... it would work for... Um, documentation and reflection and there's things mm -hmm. that I wish that I'd recorded at the more at the beginning of my PhD were going in going on in my mm -hmm. head where if I just 30 seconds said it into my phone mm -hmm. I could now go back and listen to it and I'd probably be like oh wow that's a really good idea why didn't I pursue that yeah and there's I'm sure there's lots of thoughts like that which you could just document in audio you don't even yeah, have to yeah. publish it although I probably would recommend doing that as well because you're 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 giving yourself a discipline then of, yeah. of producing stuff yeah. and a potential audience can feed back and so on. I, w I will be working with um, um, well, lots of sort of scientists and I think one of them um, I would really like to record our conversations as well because mm -hmm. it is about sort of um, without going into too much detail of what the PhD will be about because I'll, I'll struggle to put that <laughs> into one sentence um, but it's basically about you know sort of challenging each other's um, preconceptions about um, you know neurological conditions so I would be coming at it from like the, the sort of arty point of view I guess um, and he would obviously challenge me on that you know from the scientific point of view and I think that there would be some quite interesting conversations um, coming out yeah. of that and yeah actually that's a really good idea Jerry. Well one of the other things which I because I have um, I'm just going to check yes, mm -hmm. uh, one of the other things that I've haven't really sorted out but it was an idea I had was to set up a kind of podcast channel for Falmouth University to sort of highlight some of the research that comes Amazing. out and yeah. I think hopefully fingers crossed by a, in a year's time when you when you're on the PhD mm -hmm. uh, my time will be more concentrated on writing rather than producing so I might have some time then to start um, setting that channel up and if, if PhD researchers are creating podcast content and I think we need to be getting that stuff out there and yeah you know so please yeah brilliant <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited about that that yeah. sounds really good yeah is podcasting something that you recommend to others have you, have you given other people the bug or I've, shown them I've the methodology that mentioned it to a few people and everyone who comes on the show I always um show off the <laughs> sort of studio bit of it because like I said I am a little bit proud of that. Like, having figured out how to use it um, not that it is hard to use but it, it looks very technical um, and yeah no I definitely recommend it to to anyone and even if you're not broadcasting it like just to record like you know some like a little fun show on your own like it's yeah. I think we had that conversation before like um, about um like radio being or, or podcasts being like a medium for introverts um and i never thought of it like that i always thought that you'd have to be an extrovert to want mm. to go on the radio but actually because of the way you you know like the the technology works like you have you know you can you, you can be in the privacy of your own home and just you know record a show um 
without being on the spot too much and and you can you know really make it your own like yeah. you know, and and decide what you want to put out there if you want to put anything out there at all and yeah i i definitely recommend that to to anyone i think what's been when i because i've trained quite a lot of people on the radio mm. and a few on the podcast side um, that's one of the big things when they first come in or even getting them in the, the door to in the first place is convincing them because a lot of people are introverts that turn up or have anxiety or various mental health mm-hmm. conditions and when they walk in the studio and they see like a mixing desk and microphones and all this technology everywhere it's kind of, and then and then they're thinking well I'm going to have to be like you know radio one disc jockey who's like way up all the time you know and so they kind of come in with a preconception that mm-hmm. this, this is not for me and I spend a good deal of time going, well, this is for you. Mm. Believe me, I'm an introvert. It's really, when, this is the best medium for introverts going, mm-hmm. in, uh, for broadcasting at least, because you, you can literally sit in a dark room, just you and a microphone, mm. and and if music's involved, you can listen to your favourite music, or you can just talk, or you can be you and your best friend. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, this is not extrovert stuff. This is mm. This is the stuff that introverts love to do mm. and it's a very also combined with that it's a very forgiving medium so you might be in there feeling panicked and not knowing which fader you should have put up and pressing which button but actually the people out there listening they, they're they not hearing that they're just mm. hearing you talking or the music and so you can like you I remember you found this as well when you do a show and you record it and you think, oh God, that was terrible. And you listen back, and you think, oh God, that sounds quite good actually. Yeah, definitely. I never think that my guests are terrible. I always, like, I really struggle listening back to my own voice and and <laughs> you know the content of of what I've come out with sometimes. But um, but yeah, it's never quite as um, bad and terrible as I expect it to be. Mm. And. It's also like that's actually in terms of mental health and well-being. I think that's a, something really yeah. significant. Um, that you know, I'm someone who's really self-conscious in everyday life, and I always sort of go to bed thinking, like, just going through the conversations I've had during the day, and just mm. thinking, oh my God, Johanna, what have you said? What have you done? Um, so when I have that feeling after recording a show um, and then I listen back to it and actually I, I do make sense on occasion and I you know and I'm I don't sound quite as stupid and terrible as I as I think I do like that's really comforting that's it a is, nice yeah. experience basically what you're describing there is cognitive behavioral therapy it is which is where you yeah. challenge thoughts and yeah. so if you can well they in cognitive therapy you you write a lot of stuff down mm. and then you have to challenge the thoughts but it's a similar process it's like okay you if what's where you're coming from your point of view is anything i say is rubbish um and i'm not very entertaining or i'm boring mm. you know or no one wants to listen to me and then you record a show and then you listen back to it and you mm. think oh well, actually mm. you know i'm okay i, I people would like to hear mm. that I don't sound a complete idiot and mm. that is actually challenging those thoughts you came into the from the beginning and hopefully modifying and even if a little bit you know it's it all helps which is why your PhD project is so important I think and so relevant like to um, like that I think that to me is the thing that I'm taking away from um, from this whole experience and that's why I'm really grateful for 
um, you know, that, oh, that, wow. you, that you pushed me into this <laughs> gently. Uh, I don't want to take responsibility for you doing a PhD, though. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> That's nothing no. to do with me. No, it's got nothing to do with you. No, but it's the... Um, but no, like the, the, the sort of um, experience of, like the positive experience um, of, of recording this show, you know, as ridiculous as it is, the show, but it's like, yeah, it's it's really had a, a positive, like it's just brought some unexpected joy into my life. So thanks for that, Jerry. Oh, that's nice <laughs> to hear because that, actually that's the reason why I did, you know, when I was working with you, it's my MA, but mm-hmm. when I was just working at the, the station, that's the reason why all this this idea kind of germinated in my head mm-hmm. was just seeing people come through the door who and coming out of themselves you know and one person in particular I think of who literally didn't want to speak on the radio he didn't want to speak in the induction session mm-hmm. he had a carer with him who spoke for him and you know it's like well I, I like music I love music and I want to play it on the radio but I don't want to speak mm-hmm. you know and then you know, driving around like a year later and he's just on the radio and he's having a whale of a time and he's doing <laughs> shout-outs to his friends, you know, and doing death metal growls and, you know, and just thinking, well, look, this is, I mean, it's anecdotal, but it's obvious that every, you know, that's an extreme case, but everybody that I've seen come through the doors mm. has gone away, like, with an improvement in mm. their life to some degree, you know. Yeah, and I think, like, you're, you know, you, you're coming at it... F- from that unique angle of you know sort of like audio recording and and the radio shows um but i think it's like to me it's about giving people a platform and actually saying your voice mm. is really relevant and yeah. you know i want to listen to it and the you've got an audience mm. and um definitely i think for me this is it's the community, you know, because you talk mm. about community radio, mm. well, there's a the podcast community as well. But basically, the advantage community radio has is there's a defu- there's already a set audience that's listening. Mm-hmm. So when you start a podcast, you kind of have to drum up your own audience. And, you know, that might be a little niche um, interest that you have or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with a community radio station, there's already a geographical audience that's listening. And you can put anything new out and you'll get a few hundred people listening. Mm-hmm. And if so... and when people go on the radio who who are in you know have self-esteem or anxiety or things like that um to feel that your voice is valued mm-hmm. and respected and by your community that is around you you're immediately more connected to your community mm-hmm. you immediately feel like you're more respected mm-hmm. what you have you have something to offer to your community it's a value and they and it's reciprocal you know it's reciprocated and that's got to be a good thing, I think. Definitely. <laughs> now, because I know from experience, you can. It's very easy to sit isolated, you know, and think, well, why, why bother? Because you know, you might have a few friends, you might not, but no, you know, no. But there's no kind of feeling of like, oh, Falmouth wants me, or you know, my town wants me. Mm-hmm. If you can go on your local radio station, and they want you, and they don't say, oh, get out of here, we don't want your show anymore, and you know that there's people listening, and you get feedback. I think it's a it's a powerful thing, and it's a lovely local community as well. It's a love. It's it's a really welcoming radio community. So mm. I I never felt like vulnerable in that sense that anyone's gonna, um, you know, sort of tr- yeah. troll me online or you know for the for the yeah. show that I've 
put out there. It's um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice. worth pointing out. Sources kind of um, not like the average community radio station. There are a lot of them do try and be like uh, sort of commercial radio stations mm. with a bit around the fringe. Whereas mm. the source, the highlight, the, the focus is on the community and getting everybody represented as well mm. as we can and. If you walk in with any idea, we'll be like, how do we get that on air? You yeah. know, we don't go, well, actually, you need to sound a bit more like this or you need to do this instead. It's always, it's always, how do we get the idea on air? Not, this is how we sound, so you have to sound like that. Which is great, yeah. Mm. Very, and very inclusive, yeah. That's in common with podcasting because, that you know, that's where the kind of DIY aspect of podcasting comes in because you can, with you don't have to, conform to a station manager's idea or anything with podcasting mm. you can literally do whatever you want you know you could do and just record an hour of you farting in the bath if you want and put it out there <laughs> might be that no one listens but you know no one's going to tell you no you can't do that you know so i mean that's the beauty of it really yeah, i think that's yeah. and if you get feedback and people think oh that's valuable <laughs> it may be a different example you know but you know then it does make you feel yeah. you know like a person worthy of you know appreciation yeah i, I can instantly think of an audience for, yeah, I know. <laughs> having said shame. that I think yeah. that's quite a good idea yeah. I should <laughs> maybe not me but we don't have a bath <laughs> but I'll leave that with you you know just cut me the, a, a share of the revenue you make from that idea. Um, have you got anything else you'd like to say about the, the broad area of podcasting broadcasting um, audio well like you know I am a total amateur at it so I don't really have an expert opinion on on it but I, yeah I'm, like I said I'm just really grateful um, to you for introducing me to this and for like giving me the space and the the slot every month to um, put my silly shay out there <laughs> it's, it's been really enjoyable well thanks for talking to me and I think we'll record a day there thanks very much thanks Jerry Many thanks for listening to episode two of my PhD cast. I'm hoping some of this knowledge is useful. Um, if you're doing a PhD, hopefully you'll know a bit more what to expect. Next episode, I'll be talking to Neil Fox from The Cinematologists and New Oral Culture. 